welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of energy. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here with Mr. Phil Jewell. We're in Zoom land today. Unfortunately, we're not able to be here in person. Phil is the founder of Impact Leadership. I really hope everyone's had a great holiday season with their families and friends. Traveling obviously is a little crazy right now, but hopefully everyone was safe and happy and just had a great holiday season. 2022 is upon us and I hope everyone crushes this year's goals. And, you know, I'm sure there's a bunch of new year's resolutions out there. Like there always is Phil, welcome to the show. How's everything in your world today? Thanks. Justin. It's great. I really appreciate uh, being here and just the chance to connect and chat and things are great here. Good. You know, clearing up from a big snowstorm here in Eastern Canada. Okay. Well, I, I think it's interesting to address that. So snowstorm for obviously the folks on the Gulf coast who listen that didn't happen, but Phil, you're joining us from, is it Halifax? Is that right? Yeah. Halifax, Nova Scotia on the East coast of Canada. That's right. Well, we'll dive into like how you got there and people are either saying you've got a funny Canadian accent or you're definitely not <laughs> from Canada. So we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll cover that part here, but I have to, you know, right out of the gate. And I just thought of this, what are your thoughts on new year's resolutions? Mm, interesting. I don't think I've been asked that question before, but I think I know my thoughts. And thoughts on New Year's resolutions, they're maybe similar to my thoughts on like, you know, a one day leadership conference or workshop once a year or every six months. Okay. It's like, and I take Simon Sinek's example of dental hygiene. Okay. So you can go to the dentist like every six months, twice a year, whatever. But if you don't practice dental hygiene day in, day out, then going to the dentist every six months is going to do nothing. So yeah. New Year's resolutions are fine. You know what I mean? But like you need to practice that stuff day in, day out, not just on the 1st of January when, you know, the everything is, you know, encouraging us to do it. You need to practice it maybe on like, you know, 11th of September when it's dark and gloomy out in the morning. Like, you know, that's yeah. when you need to be sort of practicing your New Year's resolution. So, yeah, I don't necessarily buy into New Year's resolutions per se at that time of year. I just think those sort of things are things we should be trying to look and do daily as a habit. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I get it, right? Like there's always that people, and I mean, including myself, I think it's human nature to give yourself like a start time. It's like, okay, let me get all of these bad habits out of the way. And then this day, that's the day I'm starting. And so it's like people can sort of, I guess it's a way to like mentally prepare for, mm -hmm. you know, sacrificing. It's like, okay, yeah, I know there's gonna be a huge sacrifice. My life's going to change. And if you can mentally prepare yourself for it and, and pump yourself up, maybe that's the intent. I don't know for myself. Yeah. I've only had one new year's resolution and that was when I was 18 and I've stuck with it ever since. But since then I don't do new year's resolutions. If I think it's something that needs changing, I just do it. I don't wait it to act right. Cause it's every day you yeah. wait is just a day wasted in my opinion. However, 
for all the yeah, people out there that be- have made a new year's resolution, best of luck to you, whatever you've done, make it sustainable day in and day out. Great, Phil. I agree completely, but I love the fact you, you know you spoke about you know it's the first of January. It's like start time, so it's good. It's a good fresh start. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I like the fact you make it sustainable, and that's the key is, is making it sustainable. So hey, if it works, then do it. Exactly right. If that's what makes you be able to execute on your goals, hey, by all means, I'm all for it. Phil, what are you looking forward to the most in 2022? Wow, geez, that's another great question. I'm pretty excited about 2022. I've made some big kind of career changes, decisions over the last 18 months. I mean, COVID has helped us all look in the mirror and really reflect on some aspects of our lives. And certainly for me, that was a big case. So I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, where I can take my kind of leadership development coaching business and really just get my thoughts out there. My word for 2022 is exposure. I think I have a lot of value to offer. I mean, it's, it's raw. It needs refined. It's like version 1.0. You yeah. know what I mean? I feel like I've built a, a good kit car and it's in the garage and I just want to take it out for a drive and see how it does. Right. I, that's, I love that analogy. And really, at the end of the day, I mean, you've spent years and years and years owning your craft and not haven't necessarily gone into the entrepreneurial space, but arguably, and I'm really excited to dive into your history because it's not specific to oil and gas, but there's so much overlap. And we're going to talk about leadership today amongst a few other things. But right now, I think leadership in oil and gas is more important now than ever for a multiple of reasons, which we can get into. But before we keep going, I do need to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, which is Technip FMC. Their integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about all their well-pad operations. Technip FMC continues to push the limits in order to achieve full frack automation. For more, hit them up on LinkedIn or click the link in the show notes and you can learn a lot more about iComplete and a lot of the new technology that they have rolling out. Also, for all the folks out there, I know you're excited to get back into social gatherings. OGGN is hosting our monthly happy hours here in Houston. Normally it's at the the Canon, but check out OGGN.com for more details about all the upcoming events. And we've got a bunch of OGGM podcasts continuing to be rolled out. We've got a ton of new podcasts, everything covering from ESG, leadership, new technology, and everything in between. So please check it out, review the podcast. And if you have any ideas or thoughts for another show, which I know would be hard to believe because we have, I think, 12 of them, but there's always room for other markets to dive into. So either way, hit us up on LinkedIn or check us out on OGGN.com. So Phil, I really want to start off by addressing and thanking you for your services throughout the years. You've gave your life to serve in various countries and places around the world, which gave you some, I'm sure, great tools for success. For those who aren't connected to Phil on LinkedIn, I encourage you to do so. But Phil's a former senior manager for the Canadian Armed Forces, senior strategic planner for the US Army, and engineer for the British Army. Phil, from your time in doing all of this, I mean, is there a sort of a, an overall theme or, or something that you would describe as the biggest takeaway from a leadership perspective? Again, that you spent years doing this, some very admirable positions, but from a leadership perspective, what's the biggest takeaway from all of that? Hmm. So I think, you know, I think it's servant leadership, i.e. the only reason you exist as a leader is to serve those you have the privilege of leading. 
And I'll give you a little bit more context in that. So you mentioned three different armies they served, you know, alongside, if you like. So, you know, the, the kind of most influential foundational part was when I was at the uh, British Army's Royal Military Academy in Sanders. And I graduated there, you know, I guess 16, 17 years ago now. And I served as an officer in the British Army for the first six, seven years before transferring to the Canadian Army, so as an officer in the Canadian Army, and then was also attached, like you mentioned, to the US Army for a, a stint there. And I think throughout it, it's servant leadership. It's serve to lead. Mm. And that is, you know, such an important aspect that I think we all need to remember. And it's, you know, you mentioned about kind of leadership. And I'm a big believer in leadership is leadership is leadership. You know, like, I don't believe in anything such as leadership in healthcare and leadership in education and leadership in, you know, that X industry. And, it, you know, certainly, you know, in Canada, et cetera, there's a number of educational programs where you can go and study like leadership in healthcare or leadership in education. I, I don't believe that's what it is at all. I believe those programs are actually a management in healthcare, management in education, et cetera, because mm. leadership is leadership is leadership, i.e. leadership means you are working with, you are influencing, you're inspiring, you're empowering, you're motivating, you're listening to, et cetera, et cetera, people, humans. It's irrelevant of what industry, what technical trade you are in. And I think that is probably one of the biggest takeaways that the army does an amazing job at because they literally parachute you into organizations and positions and jobs that you have no idea yeah. what you're doing in terms of technical area. No, I led teams of soldiers in the technical area that I had you know, pretty much no idea about what they were doing. I hadn't gone through their training. I wasn't qualified to the level that they were qualified, et cetera. But it all ultimately came down to leadership. Wow, that's fascinating. And there's a lot of, I mean, you covered a lot of things that certainly want to talk about a little more, but let's back up a little bit and, and take us back to young Phil. When you were younger, did you have a passion for leadership or even so joining the army? I mean, what would that look like growing up? Are you in the position you thought you'd be in as a young little fella or? Yeah, it's a great question. Young Phil, geez. And my mum's actually here with me now. Maybe I should get her on. She'll be able to give you a <laughs> yeah. better answer. But, <laughs> but, you know, like, it's funny because when I think back to my time growing up as a teenager or whatever, I did find myself in leadership positions, you know, and I didn't seek them out and I didn't choose them. Or maybe I did subconsciously, you know, but I was in leadership positions. So whether it was the, the captain of the... Uh, the football team, not which is what we call soccer over here, like you know, the yeah. captain of the football team, you know, captain of the cricket team, whether it was, you know, being in a leadership position in a fast food restaurant I worked in, yeah. you know, whatever it is, I seem to kind of by default occupy these positions. So I don't know. I never ever thought I'd ever be a leader in the army, an officer in the army. I think to be honest with you, I just wanted an adventure. I wanted to try and, and do something completely different. I didn't know anybody in the army, no family connection whatsoever. And I guess I was a bit of a rebel in terms of, you know, and I guess it's highlighted now is like, I don't like to conform with what the box, what society says we should do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Go to university, get a good degree, go and start a career. So something told me that I wanted to do something different. So, you know, I seeked out the opportunity in the army and didn't ever think I'd really succeed at, at getting invited to 10 Sanders, et cetera, but did okay. Got invited to 10, 10 Sanders and yet yeah, kind of the rest there is kind of history, you know? Yeah, no, I get it. So you you mentioned sports and being you know part of captain. So you grew you played proper football and cricket growing up. Is that right? Proper football, yeah. So I will use the word soccer. Yeah, yeah. I played. So I love it. I should use the word soccer. I've got better. I drive my kids crazy. You know, when I try to <laughs> I switch over to English. Like you know, 
yeah. the European English language, whatever. But yeah, so no, and I guess cricket was my biggest game, if you like. I mean, I played soccer a lot. It's almost like everyone plays soccer in the UK where I grew up, you know yeah. what I mean? It's, so it's, which it's part cheap, of the UK? Northeast, Northeast of England. So Newcastle would be the nearest city that people might know. Kind of Manchester in the north, that's like two, three hours from where I grew up. So about four or five hours northeast of London, north of London. Very cool. What's your favorite soccer team? Manchester United. Manchester. Man United. Okay. Yeah. My mum's side of her family grew up close to there. And, uh, you know, my cousin, I guess his cousin is almost like a, a big brother to me. Great influence in my life as an absolute diehard Manchester United fan. <laughs> big, nice. big influence on me. Very cool. So how are they doing currently? Are they doing well amongst the soccer no, world? No, not or? really. No. no, not really. No, they're going through a rough spell, a rough patch, you know what I mean? Uh-oh. But uh, hey, it's in adversity that we really learn to grow, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's sure. So, and I don't know, and again, you'll have to excuse my ignorance in the soccer world, but David Beckham, he's mm. from the UK, right? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up like that. He was a big influence, you know, in terms of my sporting heroes. He played, you know, when I was kind of really watching it, et cetera, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he's from London. Played yeah. his career, Manchester United, almost his career. Okay, so I'm connecting the dots. I got to say, David yeah. Beckham's a rock star. You know what I mean? I think he's yeah. got like the full package. He's such a stud. And anyway, I've always, more from a celebrity perspective, because I know he was like a soccer rock star. And like, he was, you know, at one time, arguably, I guess, one of the best soccer players in the world. But mm-hmm. just how he, you know, dominated the celebrity space for a while. And, and yeah. uh, you know, he's got a beautiful family. And, you know, he's part of a lot of great, I think, business initiatives as well so yeah he, he's cool man i again i've always thought he was stud but anyway so let so what was it what's it like growing up in the uk i mean we may have some listeners from there but i mean most probably are from the u.s or canada but i mean and, and because you have kids growing up in canada what would you say is the biggest difference growing up there versus over here yeah, it's a great question it's, and it's kind of hard to answer because you know i only know growing up in the uk you know what i mean i only know my my experience and what was perspective you know the perspective for me but yeah. what I will say, something that is really hard to, well, I guess one of my big realizations is there is such a huge difference between Canada and the UK. And even though, you know, we were both English speaking, predominantly English speaking, obviously kind of bilingual, you know, French and English, but, you know, you know, both countries, English is one of the, the you know, the main languages, et cetera. It's so easy to think that we're very similar. We're just the same, but there's so many subtle cultural differences, which it's very hard to pinpoint and put my finger on what they are but it is very, very different. So, you know, for me, the one thing is just, I just feel that here in Canada, the focus on family, the accessibility for sports, for kids, et cetera, is just phenomenal. And, mm. you know, I, I mean, you know, I haven't lived in UK for 12 years. I have not brought up kids in UK. So I, I'm completely wrong here, but I'm going back on my experience. It seemed to me when I was growing up, Certainly sports, because sports are, I believe in sports are, you know, a big development for anybody. In the UK, it seemed that at a certain point, unless you were going to really, really make it big in sports, like, you know, maybe, you know, have a chance of making it at a high amateur level or pro, then there's really not much you can do as a teenager, you know, late teenager to play. Like there's not many rec leagues. I mean, there are, but not as many here in Canada. In Canada, it doesn't matter what level you are at, you can continue playing really good sports, you know what I yeah. mean? Organized sports and you know, for as long as you want. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, no, I think that's really cool. I have a good friend who I grew up with, actually moved to London. I think it was like early twenties. He met actually, I don't know, he met so I'm from the west coast of Canada and he met a lady who was 
I think uh, they're on like an internship or something for work. She was from London. And anyway, they, you know, fell in love. He moved out to London and I went to their wedding and I don't know, there was a, a castle, I think East of London that we stayed at for the wedding. And it was like the coolest experience ever. Mm-hmm. Like, and so of course, being over there, he's gotten really big into tennis and soccer mm. and he's an athlete growing up and he just fell in love with those two sports. And so we all got to play, you know, just for fun. They had tennis courts and soccer fields. And so, yeah, we were just like a bunch of kids running around playing pickup sports and, you know, <laughs> kicking the ball around, you know, with our bare feet running around the soccer field. So it was, it was just a neat experience, but I've only been to London once, but it was such a, such a cool experience, but you're right. And, you know, you'd think, and, and because there's a lot of I think there is a lot of similarities between the UK and Canada. I think they've, I mean, my family's all from Eastern Europe. And so there's a lot of European influence in Canada, but mm-hmm. yeah, it is so different. And just mm-hmm. the history there, I think was for mm-hmm. us, at least going and traveling there, it's, you don't realize how necessarily old some of the cities are mm-hmm. in the, around the world because Canada and the US are fairly young. But mm-hmm. anyway, so how, so when did you move to Canada? I moved to Canada in 2010. Yeah. So my wife, Sarah, she's from Halifax, where we are now. Yeah. We met in the UK, though. Came on the British Army journey with me, if you like. She didn't necessarily sign up for that, but she got to be part of that. Yeah. And then, you know, we always wanted to kind of emigrate back to Canada. So that's kind of what we did. Yeah. Good for you. Well, let's dive into leadership. And firstly, I think it's always important to define a term or at least define sort of a concept how would you define leadership and what does leadership mean to you? Yeah, I don't know if you can define leadership. Like it's, you know, and it's kind of ironic because I know there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of literature and a lot of conversation out there about, you know, giving leadership a definition. But, you know, for me, leadership is about creating an environment of psychological safety where people can really feel empowered, where people can really feel trusted and people can really bring their whole selves, their whole strengths, their whole weaknesses, their whole vulnerability to that working environment or to whatever environment it is. It doesn't have to be the working environment, you know, mm-hmm. just being able to show up, being able to be vulnerable, being able to be open. So that's what the kind of, when I think about leadership, you know, I think about the environment I want to create for, for anybody who's around me. Yeah. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief here at OGGN. Sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to share a couple of things for December. First is no industry mixer. We'll pick those back up in January. Second, from myself and from my entire OGGN team, we want to wish each and every one of you happy holidays, a Merry Christmas, a wonderful New Year's. Everybody stay safe. We're really looking forward to hitting 2022 with all of you. So thank you for being listeners. Have a great holiday. Have a great end of the year. That's a great answer. And I think one of the things that I really appreciate in that answer, you mentioned empowerment. Mm. There's been so many times where there's different leadership styles and, and I don't want to make this an academic leadership, yeah. you know, lecture, but there's, there's so many different avenues that you can go down with in leadership and we'll keep it high level, but there's different leaders. Leaders somehow lead with fear, lead with intent, lead mm. with mm-hmm. by serving others. But I think leading through empowerment really, I mean, leaders create other leaders. And if those people, their subordinates feel empowered to lead and then build a, you know, and and it's interesting because I don't think there's certainly, obviously within organizations there's certain positions that are leadership roles, but I think everyone can become a leader. And to supplement that, I mean, you can be a leader within your small group. You can be a leader within your team. You can be a leader that, you know, simply by going and, and dealing with a small group of people, you know, on a job site, you know, even though you may just, you may be, but I think I, I always encourage people to lead regardless of your role, but 
Yeah. In, yeah. in saying that, I think there's sometimes, and you may be able to elaborate better, but oftentimes I think there's confusion between managers and leaders. And I'm curious on your thought, how would you describe the difference between leadership and management? I think it's important to understand. Yeah, I agree completely. So you, there's so many great things you just mentioned there. So maybe I can answer that last question towards the end because I want to speak about a couple of things you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's so, do it. You know, first you spoke about like, you know, I think you were alluding to the fact that, you know, we're all leaders and I believe strongly that we are all leaders. So whether you hold a formal leadership position or not in the organization, you are a leader. You are part of that system. You are part of that environment. You can choose to be part of the rumor mill or you can choose not to be part of the rumor mill. We are all play a role in the play, right? We all play a role in the play. Now, I yeah. know the expectations and the level of influence, et cetera, of formal leaders, especially at the senior level, you know, are greater. However, we all make up that environment. So I'm a huge believer in the fact that we're all leaders, whether it's formal or informal. And often I have, I have folks who come to me and say, well, I don't really hold a, a leadership position. I'm not a leader. I'm like, well, talk to me, tell me about yourself. And they'll describe, you know, their personal life or whatever. I'm like, you're a leader every single day, you know? So I'm a huge believer in that, and I'm a huge believer in us all taking accountability and responsibility for making the environment better than what it is. And, and I'm always triggered by folks who say, well, that's management's fault, or that's leaders' fault, or what are they, what are they going to do it do about it? And I just turn around and say, what are you going to do about it? Like, you know, you have a chance to, to make the environment better. So anyway, and the other one that I really, really like, we said, is in terms of empowerment and kind of developing those around us. And, and I also strongly believe that the role of a leader is to make those around you so good that you become irrelevant yourself and you make, you work yourself out of a job. Like my goal should be to make the team I lead way better than myself. Like not just to try and train them so they can take over my role when I'm not there, to make them like way better than me so they can absolutely become my leader in the future, et cetera. That should be the goal of any leader. Because the irony in that is if you have the mindset where you try to work yourself out of a job, and you try to make yourself irrelevant, the irony is you'll never actually do that. You'll just open up more doors for yourself that you didn't realize were even there. You know what I mean? Whilst empowering and lifting everyone up around you. I absolutely believe a huge responsibility of a leader is to develop those around them. So much so, and I think, well, I think where this comes from is when I was in the British Army and, you know, training before I went to Afghanistan, you know, obviously you have to, you know, pass a series of pretty intense tests and assessments of your ability to lead. And ironically, one of the main assessments for me before I was kind of given that final authority to go and lead soldiers there was they took me, we were on this big exercise, we were on a big assessment, and they took me out. They said, right, Phil, for the next, I can't remember how many hours, 12, 24 hours, you are no longer here. Go and sit in that corner. We don't want to see you. They then assessed how good the team I was leading were able to step into the different roles they then had to step into. So the person who took over my role, et cetera. Because what that did is a reflection of how, how well I had developed them and led them over the last year or two. So it was crazy. So my actual assessment, I was not even present for my assessment, if that makes sense. So I think that's, wow. that's kind of where that comes from. Yeah, and I, I think it's, I, I honestly, I live by that. I think it's absolutely fantastic. So, and then the last thing, going back to management and leadership, yeah. So uh, it's, it drives me crazy how much we use the word management and managers. Like if you are responsible for people, you are a leader. If you go on any job website and you put in the word manager, you'll get, say, 10,000 jobs. You know, you put in the word leader, you might get 500. That needs to be absolutely reversed. I often tell the organizations, I was like, you know what? The biggest thing you can do right now, simplest, biggest thing, 
is everyone who leads people change their job title. If it's got manager in it, change it to leader at every level, because that will, will really, really kind of send a message. So hmm. I think management, management is important. Leadership is important. They're two different things. I think management is a subset of leadership. So if you think of a big bubble, leadership is a big bubble. Within that is management. So as a leader, you have to manage at times. You have to manage programs. You have to manage policies. You have to manage processes. You have to manage structures. You have to manage systems. You do not manage people. You can only lead people. So oh. that's basically where I kind of sit on, on that. Wow. No, that, actually, that's an interesting answer. And I wasn't expecting that because... Or I guess the, my leading question would then be, are all managers good leaders? No, not at all. And all leaders aren't good managers. Like, I think I'm actually a pretty bad manager. Like, I'm, you know, I, details bore me. You know, I just, I just, no, I'm not a good manager. I, I think I'm a pretty good leader. I, you know, I think I'm a pretty good leader. So, yeah, not all um, leaders are good managers. Not all good managers are good leaders. You know, I, I think they take very different and very specific people. And, and, and it kind of goes to... For me, leadership is its own domain, its own profession. Now, it's not a profession in terms of, you know, you need different levels of accreditation, et cetera, et cetera. But it's its own domain where you can, you know, learn, develop, and you need to be trained to become a leader. And unfortunately, for, you know, all I've known, and I don't know how long for, but in society, we typically promote the best technical person into the leadership position. So say, for instance, you're a salesperson. If you're the best salesperson, well, you know, over time, you likely be promoted into a position of leadership, which actually requires no sales skills, but now leadership skills. And we do it automatically overnight. And we also expect that person to be a leader. It's, you know, you wouldn't expect anybody to, an architect to be a good architect without the training and the skills and techniques to, be, to do that. But then mm-hmm. we expect that of leadership. And then we, we wonder why our organizations and people are leaving. And we have, you know, all these issues in organizations. It's because we spend so much time on technical training and very little time on leadership training and development. Hmm. So how do you suppose we change that shift? Because it's probably challenging in just speaking through experience, everyone's always so busy and it's important to be like, okay, you have to know your product and services. That way, when you service the customer, you can do you know, X, Y, Z and fulfill their expectations. And internally, everyone needs to support the mission, which is, you know, whatever, being the best company in the world, whatever the mission is for that, you know, subject organization. But I mean, do you, and it sounds like you feel that there is a lack of leadership training amongst different organizations. How do you, I guess, how do organizations sort of change that mindset and be able to sort of quantify the value, because if someone goes to management and says, Hey, look, I think we need to allocate X percent of our CapEx to leadership training. How do you sell that? Like, what, how do you make that an impact just as important as saying, Hey, I think we need to train everyone in sort of XYZ engineering discipline because that's what our customers are demanding. Cause that's easy to sell. It's like, well, if our customers need it, then we always need to train our people to understand how to do it. Do you, do you understand sort of where I'm, where I'm mm, going with that? 100%. So, I mean, agree hundred percent that there's a lack of leadership training. Like I truly believe there's, you know, and, and that doesn't even do it justice by using the word lack, but it's not, it's nobody's fault. You know, I feel for the leaders who are all of a sudden expected to lead teams and they have no leadership development or training. How do we quantify it? How do we sell it? 
I don't know if we can. I know it's crazy to say that. Like, yeah, it's a belief. It's a belief. Like, I don't think we can. I don't think you can quantify it. Like, you know, hey, Justin, I know you're married. So do you love your wife? Right. Of course. I love my wife. Let's quantify that. Let's give me a score of your love compared to give me a score of my love. Like, you know, we're talking yeah. about behavioral things. We're talking about, you know, social intelligence, emotional intelligence, self-awareness, all these qualitative, you know, behavioral skills. I don't like to call them soft skills because they're completely the opposite. The soft are the most courageous and vulnerable thing you can do. You know what I mean? So mm. it's, we're talking about all these skills, these mindsets. I just don't know if you can quantify it. Now, I know that's not the answer that's going to, you know, sit well at any you know executive table where you're trying to get funding for leadership training and development so somehow maybe we do need to quantify i don't have the answer i just don't think you can and i think it comes down to a belief it comes down to belief that you understand leadership is that important you know yeah. so can you i don't know if you can give an roi to it return you know maybe you can give an roe return on expectation so maybe you can say okay what do we expect from this sort of training but can you actually quantify it to a tangible dollar figure I don't believe you can. And I think, I don't believe we should waste time on doing that. And it's yeah. interesting, you know, I've already made the conscious decision that if I'm approached by an organization, you know, to help them in their leadership kind of development or coaching, and I'm asked to try and sell why, then I'm not going to, I'm not even going to start working with that organization. Because mm -hmm. I don't, you know, if, if I have to sell them why they need to invest in leadership training and development, then they've got a little bit more growth to do on, you know, why it's important before yeah. they need to actually come to me. I mean, I, again, I think that's a tough question to answer. And I, and I, and it makes sense, right? Like if management or, or the executive team believes in strong leadership, then they're going to, they know that that's just part of a successful business. It's kind of like marketing. I've, you know, throughout the last few years, I've gotten involved with a little bit of marketing within our company and just been more in tune with overall marketing. And that's another one that's hard to sell because I'm a huge believer in, you know, building your brand, creating content and becoming relevant in the market space. And oftentimes, at least in oil and gas, traditionally, it's like, hey, let's spend six grand at a, at a booth at a conference. It's just what you know what to do. But then the one minute you say, hey, let's spend two grand on creating a podcast and allocate maybe a few hours a week mm -hmm. to doing it. They're like, well, why would we do that? And it's, are you going to see an increase in sales? And it's, there's all these like intangible, mm -hmm. valuable aspects that come out of like certain things. And it's similar to, to leadership. And I'm sure there's a framework to be able to say, Hey, you know, within this, I mean, and, and I think a lot of it too, is just going and experiencing it firsthand. But like you said, if you're having yeah. to sit there and go into a company and say, Hey, what does your leadership framework look like? Or what, what type of leadership do you encourage within your company? And they kind of get in and say, Oh, Hey, you know, it'd be really important for you to consider this. And if they're like, well, what's the point? Like you said, at that point, it's kind of like, hey, maybe let's revisit this or perhaps, you know, you can lead them to, you know, ask the right questions that may lead them to think, wow, you know what? I never thought of it like that. Like, let's consider that. Yeah. But, but that yeah. I could see that being challenged. And throughout your answer, actually, you mentioned a few terms that I'm big on and, and really sort of have, have studied a little bit, but you mentioned self-awareness. I'm curious on your sort of from your side. How essential is self-awareness for being a good leader? So I think it's the absolute cornerstone. It is beyond essential, whatever the right term is for that. You can only lead others as far as you can lead yourself. Self-awareness is so crucial for your ability to lead. You know, I had a realization, you know, this past, you know, last year in terms of the different relationships were the most important to me in my life. 
and I asked myself a question, you know, like, okay, what, what are the top three relationships in your life? And maybe, maybe I'll ask you this. I don't think I haven't, I've not asked you this before, Justin, have I? I don't know if you have. Okay. So l- let me ask you a question. We're going to, if I can, we do a little, very quick exercise. It'll take like a minute, maybe. Yeah, let's do it. And I'm not going to ask you to give it any answer. I don't know. And I don't need you to say on the podcast the answer. Okay. But I just need to, you know, go through the process. So I want you to take 20 seconds right now. And I'm going to invite everybody else who's listening to take 20 seconds and name or, you know, in their minds, think about the top three relationships they have or have had in their life. Okay. So just start thinking. I'll, I'll just go silent for, you know, maybe 10 seconds. I know we're on the podcast. But yeah. Start thinking about the top three relationships you have in your life or have had. I don't, you don't need that list defined. I don't need to know the names. We just start thinking of the names who might be in that. Okay. It didn't take me long to think of it. And so, okay. I, you know, in my head, I have them. Okay. So my follow-up question, where did you put the relationship you have with yourself in that top three? It wasn't, right? Yeah. For me, and, not, it and, and it wasn't for me when I, you know, I asked myself this question, you know, and yet the relationship we have with ourselves is without a doubt the most important relationship we have in life. Like mm. most of us can talk, most of us can talk about our favorite restaurant, our favorite, you name it, better than we can talk about our insecurities, our vulnerabilities, yeah. things we're shameful for, our triggers, like what makes us anxious? Why does it make anxious? How do we try and manage that? Like, you know, all those things we don't explore. And mm. so we expect to show up in this life and show up as leaders and expect everybody else to, you know, to show up in the way we want to show up. And yet we're not even investing time to understand ourselves. So the relationship we have ourselves is without a doubt the most important relationship. And I'm not saying that from a pedestal, like I've got this nailed down. I sure. absolutely, for the first 40 years of my life, 100% failed, absolutely failed. I did not invest time in that relationship. I did mm. not really understand that relationship, etc. And so, you know, for me, my kind of journey, if you like, to really improve my self-awareness has been absolutely crucial for my ability to lead. So yeah, I think the ability to be self-aware is absolutely crucial. And if I can kind of tie it to our previous conversation about leadership development training in organizations, one thing I also, you know, tell organizations is please don't even hire me and I encourage you not to waste any money whatsoever in any leadership development or coaching unless the senior most leader or leaders are willing to invest in themselves first. Because if they're not willing to change, nothing will change. You can throw mm. hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars into leadership training. You can, you know, send every one of your, you know, your team members, you know, 500 people on leadership development course, et cetera. If those senior most leaders are not willing to look within and change, then nothing will change. And the reason they should be willing to look within and change is because everything around us is always changing. So we always yeah. have to go for that growth and development. So, yeah, no, that's, go. yeah, that's really interesting. The relationship with yourself. And that's something I always, you know, I, I tell folks, you know, close friends, family, and especially my kids, like you can't love anything or anyone until you love yourself and know the true self. And that's a whole another mm-hmm. topic we can get into, but having a relationship with yourself, that should be the number one priority. I love that. Mm-hmm. I'm and gonna, it's like, you know, sorry. Just, oh, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. We're just, you know, you're talking about your kids. It made me think of, you know, like when I became a father, you know, I instinctively would tell, you know, so my daughter figure skates and she'd, you know, go on the ice to do a performance. She'd go, oh, I'm scared. And, you know, instinctively I'd want to say, well, no, don't be scared. But actually that's completely, you know, that's not what I should be saying. I'm like, that's okay. And I use a car analogy and I was like, okay, you feel Mrs. Scared is perfect. She's in your car. She needs to be in your car. It's an emotion that you need to feel, but you're letting her drive your car. Don't let her drive your car. Sit in the back seat. But encouraging our kids to 
feel those emotions, to own those emotions, to understand what those emotions mean, I think it's so, so important, you know? But mm. instinctively, we say, well, don't be scared or don't, you know what I mean? But that's, that's not what we should be saying, you know? Well, yeah. Okay. So that leads to another topic is how important is emotional intelligence and how would you factor that into good leadership characteristics? It's critically important, emotional intelligence. It's all kind of tied into the, the same thing, you know, and yet how little do we use it in terms of selecting our leaders, in terms of helping our leaders? And I know we're getting better. We're getting a lot better, you know, and there's some great, you know, literature out there and research and, you know, real forward thinkers, but we really need to increase how much we prioritize emotion intelligence because I think that is just, again, fundamental for leaders, like fundamental. Right. And I'm sure people are like, well, what does that mean? And just for the interest of time, and I can't believe we've already blown this much time, but I would Google. So anyone out there that's interested in these terms that we're throwing around, Google them, simply just look them up, what they're used for, how they're applied. Again, we could probably go on for hours about this, but I I do want, there's some other questions I want to touch on before the top of the hour. And I will just say one on that emotion. So it's just in the can is to emphasize its importance, you know, I once hired somebody for a position and they were going to manage a large budget and they didn't have any, you know, much financial experience. And, you know, people will raise their eyebrows and, you know, ask certain things, you know, should I have hired them? And I, I basically, my response was like, I don't care if they've never managed a budget before. I care that they're humble enough to ask questions and say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's why I hired them. And they turned out to be very you know, successful in that position. So it kind of links to the importance of emotional intelligence. Wow. That's actually really important. And again, another just huge nugget coming out of this, but I do want to, for the listeners, certainly want to add as much value for them spending the time with us today. What would you say are the top three characteristics that make for a good leader? And I'm going to imagine we've probably touched on them, but if folks are saying, ah, you know, I, I want to become a better leader. What are some things to start off with or some things they can research or just, you know, and three characteristics that they can work on starting today? Okay. The first I think is trust on day one. I think this whole notion that trust is earned is, I don't believe in it. I think as a leader, you should absolutely give trust on day one to your teams that you lead. Give them trust. Trust that they can do the job that you're asking them or hiring them to do. You know, mm. you come into an organization and this underlying thought that, oh, I need to work for six months, a year, two years, whatever, before I build up the trust and they'll trust me with this. No, give people trust on day one. You know, yes, will people fail you? Will people take advantage of that? Absolutely. But the 95% of people who will actually feel empowered and will thrive in that environment, the rewards that they will be able to produce for your organization will absolutely outshine the risks and the repercussions, you know, given trust on day one and the 5% will take advantage of it. Mm. And linked to that, and so tied to that is design and build an organization based on the 95% and not the 5%. There are, I'd say the majority of organizations, they have policies which are written because somebody at some time did something that shouldn't have done. So basically what they're doing over time is they're creating policies and they're creating structure to mitigate that 5%. And they don't realize what they're doing is taking away all the creative freedom of the 95%. You cannot have transformation and creativity, you know, at the same time that you have this laundry list of rules. I mean, I always use a Lego analogy, like, you know, let a kid play Lego and just watch the freedom and creativity they have and then ask them to play that Lego, but ask them to do it on a table. Tell them they're not allowed to move Lego from that table. Tell them that they're not allowed to use any figures for anything other than X, Y, and Z, et cetera, et cetera. 
and then ask them to be creative. The creative creativity is completely limited. That's what an organization are. So trust on day one. This, the other aspects, I know you asked for three, but I'm going to give you this one and there's a few in this one. As a leader, I think these three things are critical. Haters are going to hate. You've got a bullseye on your back and you're going to fail. As a leader, if you can own and believe and accept those three things, haters are going to hate. You've got a bullseye on your back and you're going to fail. So mm. haters are going to hate. And Taylor Swift obviously stole that from me. You know what I mean? So is that people are always going to try to call you out, try to take you down. It's just the way it is. Those people exist. Just accept it. Do not waste any energy or time on them. The bullseye on your back, and that bullseye gets bigger the more senior you become. People, it's on your back because people are going to hit that bullseye. People are going to take a shot and they're going to hit it as a leader. You can't do anything about it. Don't waste time again trying to protect that bullseye on your back. Mm. And you're going to fail. Failure is a fantastic word which we have totally you know, create a lot of negativity around it. Like failure is so vital, so important. I have failed so many times. I failed daily in my life. I failed daily as a leader. And it's only through failure and an open mind that I'm willing to grow. We all know that you can't learn as a child. You can't learn how to ride a bike, et cetera, without failure. And yeah. yet, and yet we take failure out of organization. Like we don't accept failure. And, and, you know, when we, you know, do an investigation and we want to know, get to the root cause of this. no, no, just accept the failure as part of growth. You know, I'm not saying repeated failure on the same thing should be a tolerate, etc. But we need to become a lot accepting that we're humans. We're going to fail. Don't punish people when they fail. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I think failure is important, especially amongst kids, everything else. Mm-hmm. Just it's the fundamental key to growth is being okay with failure. And we've got about four yeah. minutes and I hate to, to get this thing wrapped up, but what would be the last thing? And then we'll close up. I just think it has to tie into that relationship with yourself. Mm. Like you have to invest time understanding yourself. Most of us, you know, will feel a lot better if we just talk to a tree, talk to a lamppost, you know, like, (laughs) so you need to invest time partnering with somebody, somebody, a trusted, you know, advisor, a trusted mentor, a trusted coach, whatever it is, you need to talk to somebody as a leader because leadership is absolutely lonely. So don't be alone. So I guess that that's the final thing is leadership is lonely. So do not do it alone. It's, mm. you know, it's so challenging. It's so stressful. It's, you can internalize and personalize so much stuff. So find somebody who you can confide in, find somebody who you can trust, find somebody who you can really open up and be really vulnerable. Because I, I find that a lot of the leadership challenges people face it actually comes down to some real root causes that, you know, very much tied to some personal characteristics, personal traits, you know, et cetera. So yeah, leadership is alone. So don't do it alone. <laughs> That's leadership is lonely. So don't do it alone. That's it. Right. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Well, Phil, you know, I really wish we had more time and we're going to have to do a round two because I mean, there's, yeah, I like I'd that. love to talk about, I mean, even some of the stuff that you read, I noticed you have tools of Titans behind you. You know, we talked about that, you know, Tim Ferriss, you know, I, I'd be curious more on like where you get a lot of your information from, but unfortunately just the nature of, of how we do things here, we've got a, a time here that I need to be wrapped up by, but Like, so impact leadership real quick, if folks are looking to learn more or to even just ask you more questions or, or even seek out some of the services that you do offer. How do people do that? And what could people expect from impact leadership? 
So yeah, impactleadershipteam.com or, you know, I'm on LinkedIn as Phil Jewell. I'm also on Instagram, impact.leadership. Honestly, you know, for impact leadership, I will partner with a leader or an organization and I will meet them where they are. So, you know, what I offer is really depends on what they need. You know, we all are on a different journey. What it's not, it's not, you know, your half day, one day workshop because leadership is a habit. It's a belief of behavior and a habit. You know, so in my coaching engagements, I'll only coach people for a minimum of a three month coaching engagement. I don't charge by the hour and I don't do like, you know, a one off coaching engagement because it really takes an investment in time. We are in, in a danger in society or in organizations where we want this short, sharp, one day leadership workshop and we think it's going to fix the thing. It's not. You know, I laugh at the moment with all the talk about crisis leadership. There's a lot of crisis leadership courses out there. I don't think there's any such thing as crisis leadership. Crisis oh. leadership does not exist. It's like I went to, you know, I went to Sanders. I was in the army. I was training to go to Afghanistan. We were dealing with so many crises. Never, ever was I trained to, for crisis leadership because leadership is leadership is leadership. Same principles apply. You know, you know, so organizations approach, you know, Folks like myself say we want a crisis leadership workshop. I was like, well, it doesn't. But I'll give you a three-month coaching engagement. Or I'll take you know your ten team, your ten-person team on a three-month kind of leadership development program. Absolutely. So if you're looking for more of a journey in leadership, then I'm the type of person to uh, to link up with. Awesome. No, that's great. And for everyone out there, again, Phil has so much to offer. This is our second conversation, and just the amount of knowledge and just great insight and experience. I mean, we didn't even touch on your experience within your army. I mean, and some of the more examples of how, you know, you developed your leadership skills and what you've been able to do and experience within those organizations. It's amazing. So I promise everyone out there that if you've enjoyed this conversation, we're going to have a round two and I'm going to chalk out at least two hours. But with that said, Phil, I'll put all your links in the show notes. That way, if someone's interested, they can connect with you on LinkedIn and seek more information about impact leadership. Phil, I hope you've had a great holiday season and nothing but the best in 2022. And for all the folks out there, always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Awesome, Justin. Thanks. You bet. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.